This is an RNZ podcast. For decades, there have been whispers and innuendo in the back lots of Hollywood about producer Harvey Weinstein and how he treats women behind closed doors. Today, in the New York criminal courts, his crimes were declared beyond reasonable doubt. And I was jumping for joy and I started to cry and it just gave me life again. That was Australia's ABC there, reporting the story that led the bulletins here and all over the world on Tuesday, even ahead of coronavirus fears sending stock markets around the world into a downward spiral. The ABC's report featured Italian model and Harvey Weinstein victim Ambra Gutierrez, who wore a wire to gather evidence against him. Outside the court today, she told ABC she feels vindicated and energised to continue her fight for the worldwide movement known as Me Too. You played such an important role in starting this whole movement. How do you feel now at the end of this chapter? Uh, It's not an end. Uh, There is so much work to do. And as Umbra Gutierrez said there, this week's trial was just the tip of an international iceberg. Rebecca Barry of the UK's ITV put it like this in her report on Tuesday. This case became symbolic about far more than just one man's guilt or innocence. The allegations against the Hollywood producer sparked the Me Too movement against sexual harassment and abuse. And today's verdict will be seen as a watershed moment. And that moment, and the Me Too movement wouldn't have happened without women who blew the whistle on Weinstein. And the journalists who told their stories in the media also helped to create an environment whereby others could speak out all around the world. Here it was serious sexual misconduct at the law firm Russell McVeigh, which was also seriously mishandled, which gave the Me Too movement momentum once it has been exposed by newsroom.co.nz. And that prompted stuff to open up a Me Too media campaign led by reporter Alison Moore, who urged other women to blow the whistle. But at this time, not all others were supportive in the media. The campaign was labelled a witch hunt by some and a knee-jerk reaction to the Harvey Weinstein headlines by others. Next week, it'll be two years since that campaign was launched. We'll look at what it achieved and what it didn't. But on Tuesday, Alison Moore told Jesse Mulligan on RNZ National that hundreds of people had responded to the Stuff campaign, though it didn't always end well for them. Uh, I have learnt that that everybody thinks that you're doing the right thing if you report sexual harassment in your workplace um, and that a lot of people very bravely do. And at the moment they report, they feel a sense of relief as if things are going to change and they will get... And the reality is that that is the moment where it all starts to go badly wrong. Oh, man. Now, one of the reasons for that is the damage that blowing the whistle can do to the career of anyone brave enough to speak up. And that holds true for all kinds of wrongdoing at work. Employers and institutions need to make it possible for workers to report wrongdoing without worrying that their careers will be on the line if they do. And that's one reason why the Reserve Bank announced last week that employees who spot something they think might be dodgy at an insurance company, a bank or a finance house now have a dedicated email address and a special phone number they can use to raise the alarm. But here, there was just one news story in the media about this that we could find here at MediaWatch. Incidentally, it came from the independent news agency Business Desk. More about that outfit later in this program. But in the US, the National Law Review, established way back in 1888, was interested. It said the Reserve Bank move here last week was a seemingly significant move. However, 
This new program still has substantial drawbacks, including a lack of reward provisions to incentivise and support whistleblowing. It also lacks explicit protections against retaliation. And the National Law Review concluded that a whistleblower would actually be better off under the law in the US. Well, as it happens, our whistleblowing law, the Protected Disclosures Act, is currently under review here. The act is supposed to protect an employee who discloses serious wrongdoing from criminal or civil prosecution in certain circumstances, and in theory, also from retaliation from their employer. But employees must follow the appropriate channels for making a protected disclosure, and anyone caught disclosing or leaking information to the media is not protected, even if disclosure is in the public interest. Back in 2015, for example, security guard Linda Moate, with the backing of her union, told the Dominion Post newspaper her employer had encouraged staff to cheat in their training. And there was nothing she, or the union, or the Employment Relations Authority, or the newspaper could do about her subsequent sacking. Now that case, and others like it, prompted the current government to review the law. And announcing it, the State Services Minister Chris Hipkins said this at the time. Anyone who raises issues of serious misconduct or wrongdoing needs to have faith that their role, reputation and career development will not be jeopardised when speaking up. Sounds fair. And last week, the proposed changes to the law were revealed. And a major change is allowing people to report serious wrongdoing directly to an appropriate external authority rather than having to raise their concerns first with the agency that they work for. But the media will not be one of those appropriate external authorities under the proposed changes to the law. The initial discussion document said extending protections to people who report to the media could help expose serious threats to the public interest, but... It's complicated. People could simply get it wrong, or worse, deliberately make a false claim which could cause unfair reputational damage to the people involved in the public domain. And that was echoed by Business New Zealand, which said this in its submission. Providing protection for such persons would unfortunately open the door to get-even complaints, which even if found to be untrue would nevertheless tend to operate on a no-smoke-without-fire basis. Now, sadly, the media weren't consulted before that discussion document was prepared, and in the only media submission before the deadline, TVNZ pointed out that the media don't operate on a no-smoke-without-fire basis. We can categorically state that this would never happen in our newsroom, said TVNZ's general counsel, Brent McAnulty. He said compliance with broadcasting standards codes and media council principles also help to ensure accuracy and fairness, in addition to journalists' own professional ethics. And he cited some examples of TVNZ reporting wrongdoing, which was in the public interest. The melamine milk contamination, where Fonterra managers knew about it but did not announce a public recall to stop parents feeding it to their babies. Pike River, where an employee complained about safety issues but management shut them down. The reports of inappropriate behaviour by a coach at Cycling New Zealand, which was not acted upon until one news revealed that concerns had previously been raised internally by both athletes and staff. And if reporting does cause unfair reputational damage to a third party, TVNZ's Brent McAnulty pointed out that it can then sue the broadcaster for defamation and cause serious financial and reputational damage to the media outlet in question. Now, one of few journalists to follow this review of the law is Tom Polistreka of the Dominion Post. Back in 2018, he criticised the suggested reforms to whistleblower laws as feeble. I'm in awe of the bravery of people who have contacted me with concerns about their workplaces or practices in their industries over the years. I'm sometimes shocked by how bad things can get before problems are aired. 
At a time when honesty and ethics are in retreat around the world, how about we choose to live in an open society 24 hours a day? In Australia, some states do protect workers who go to the media as a last resort. For example, the New South Wales state law protects those who haven't had success having honest concerns properly investigated by a relevant higher authority. In December, a report into whistleblowing in Australia and New Zealand addressed what ought to be best practice for serving the public interest. Clean as a whistle is a follow-up to what's been described as one of the world's largest studies into this and the impact of organisations' whistleblowing policies. One of its authors is Victoria University of Wellington professor Michael McCauley. I think there's a lot of positives in the potential reforms. I think there's a great deal of positives in the idea of the one-stop shop, in the strengthening of the wording, and particularly in terms of the monitoring of whistleblower complaints. I think they're all really, really good. In the specific case of media disclosures, I personally would have liked to have seen that strengthened, and that's something that we argued for in there. It's something that other jurisdictions are beginning to do now and recognise the importance. But overall, in the scheme of things, I'd still like to stress that I do see the the new reforms as a positive thing. The initial discussion document for this actually highlighted the danger of media reporting claims they thought might be wrong or misleading. Uh, Business New Zealand then put in a a submission which kind of echoed that, saying, you know, serious damage could happen to to people, to businesses, um, and that they believed if there was serious misconduct going on, it would come to light anyway, you know, without someone necessarily going to the media because they felt protected. Do you think they're right about that? Potentially they are, but potentially there's absolutely no problem in other people going to the media. The the thing with going to the media is you can do it, I think, legitimately if it's your last line of defence. And people do. I think people just going straight to the media to complain about anything would be difficult. But I think that's hypothetical. Uh, I don't particularly necessarily agree that there'd be an enormous amount of vexatious complaints. And I don't think that the media would be particularly interested in those kind of complaints anyway. Because, I mean, look, let's be honest. When, the hi- when misconduct does come out highlighted uh, in the media, whatever it might be, whether it's really serious corruption and bribery issues or you know, slightly more HRE issues such as bullying, it's all bad for reputation anyway. Mm. The, the thing that's really difficult for organisations, both private businesses and public organisations, is when they're not perceived to be doing anything about things that are self-evidently there. So in other countries, for example in Australia, are there protections that extend to whistleblowers who do go to the media? Yes, uh, there was changes to the Australian Corporations Act just last year, that are now in effect. I think they came into effect July or August 2019. And they do protect people to be able to go to to journalists under a particular set of circumstances. They already need to have been uh, to a regulator or to have informed the the organisation that they made the complaint or they've blown the whistle on it. They have to wait uh, 90 days for that to have gone nowhere. They have to have a reasonable grounds to believe that it's not going anywhere, that that their complaint isn't being dealt with properly, and also that it's definitely in the public interest. And they also have to og- uh, offer the agency or organisation written notification that they're going to go to the media. Uh, and if those things are in place, then it's permitted and people are protected. And again, I-, I think they're the kind of fairly sensible bulwarks that you can put into place to protect people. No one's asking for everyone to have a licence just to go running and making any old complaint. That's obviously ludicrous. Mm. Well, the, the Cleaners Whistle report has a section on media freedom, which refers to um, uh, the, the serious doubt about the viability of using that channel in the mind of the whistleblower or a chilling effect on the ability of the media to play its own part. That doubt would provide compelling reasons for not only reforming and clarifying the laws for whistleblowing, but uh, reinforcing it with le- legislative protection for journalists' use of whistleblowing for public interest purposes. Is that the same thing as a public interest test? 
to a, to an extent it is. I mean, I think we've got to be a little bit careful about using slightly emotive words like the chilling effect. But I think when we talk about the New Zealand case, whether or not a lack of new reforms is going to have a chilling effect, frankly, I don't accept that. I don't think that's true. However, when we talk about public trust more generally, it's always going to be uh, in the interest to promote greater levels of trust to be able to seem to be proactive about things. The Clean as a Whistle report also referred to, I think, mainly with regard to Australia, but in the cases they looked at, actually very few found their way to the media. Uh, most most were reported to the internal agencies, yeah. and they're talking about maybe 1% or 2% that went to the, to, to the media. So uh, in that sense, perhaps the lawmakers looking at that and thinking, well, on the balance of where these complaints end up, perhaps the media is not really a priority for reform of the Protected Disclosures Act? No, it, it's all about escalation, and that's why I think the Australian legislation, and, and I must confess uh, recent EU legislation as well, there's just, I think, only last year, the year before, a new EU directive about protections for people who want to go to the media as well. They're, they're there as kind of a, a last resort, really. They're very important to, be, to, to have them, I think, because people sometimes need a last resort, don't they? But the vast majority of cases should never reach that, and I, I don't ever think that they would, to be honest. And are you a bit disappointed that only one media outlet uh, which is TVNZ, made a submission, made the point that, look, the media don't just put people's claims out there in order to get attention or run a story. They investigate them thoroughly and, and wouldn't do so, wouldn't air them if they weren't fairly convinced that they were they were correct and worth reporting. Um, so sad that there's only one media outlet that made that case? I'm not wearing a white wig, Colin, and I'm not judging anybody. OK. Uh, no, I look, it, it, it's up to organisations to respond accordingly. Why didn't Radio New Zealand put something in out of interest? Uh, Do good, you have any idea? Good, good question. Uh, not above my pay grade, maybe. But, you know, we, we don't... <laughs> part of the problem here is that we don't seem to have a strong cross... You know, the mutual interests of the media are not... Um, represented there. Perhaps the media's missing a trick if they don't put up a united front on these things. Mm. Well, perhaps... We've seen this week whistleblowing by brave women has resulted eventually in the conviction of Harvey Weinstein overseas, but it took years to mm. lift the lid on his crimes. Is this a case you think that will perhaps go down in, in history as something that shows the power of whistleblowing, but also its limits because it took so long? I sincerely hope it does, Colin. It is just how many of them spoke out and how many of them were silenced. And we saw the same thing with the Jimmy Savile case over the years in the UK where it wasn't just a case that there was an evil man who was brilliant at manipulating people. We saw hundreds, and I mean literally hundreds of people, come forward over decades, and they were blocked at every turn. They were blocked sometimes through ignorance. They were blocked sometimes through coercion. They were blocked sometimes through uh, being bought off. But whatever it was, they were silenced. And I, I really, truly hope that there's a big investigation and a full understanding of the industrial scale lengths to which people, victims and survivors, uh, were basically told to be quiet and to ignore it, to be belittled and everything else. Yeah, I worked at the BBC in the UK from the sort of mid-90s and early 2000s. Years later, back here working for RNZ, I got a letter from them saying, now, did you see anything or encounter this man, Savile? Is there anything you want to report? They must have written to tens of thousands of their yeah. current and former employees. And I got that letter thinking... Well, this is about 15 years too late, isn't it? Well, if, if you look at Savile, hundreds of people who came forward, but they didn't go to one particular agency. They went to different police forces who don't speak to each other, obviously, all the time in, in across England and Wales, because there's, I think, 42 different regional police forces. Or they went to the care homes, or they went to the hospitals, or they went to Broadmoor, or they went to the BBC, or they went to wherever these kind of incidents were taking place. And those never got connected up. So that and hiding in plain sight the thing overlying. Yeah. But then, of course, there's got to be some kind of conspiratorial view as well behind that because people did know. 
I mean, what's the what's the big thing that we've heard about Weinstein and we've heard about Savile? Oh, yeah, well, we knew. Bill Cosby, we all knew. Everyone knew. Well, if you knew, why wasn't something done? Yeah, well, the fear of damaging careers, exactly. I guess, and, and, uh, and legal comeback. And look, here in New Zealand, of course, uh, Me Too movement got momentum again, partly from the media. For example, uh, the newsroom.co.nz, fairly bold reporting there of what was happening at the Russell McVeigh law firm, some serious misconduct there, not well handled. Uh, and then wider legal profession too, investigations into that. Is that a good case study here in New Zealand of the power of whistleblowing allied to the media's input? It is, and it's also a good case study of the, the sadness behind organisational failures. Uh, that's, that's the other thing. Let's not forget again that these things weren't just going straight to the media. They didn't just go straight to reporters or anything like that. There was processes followed, and those processes unfortunately didn't work. Hopefully, of course, now they'll be a lot more robust. That case study is redolent of both those things, both of the kind of the proactive version of the media and also, sadly, the reactive version of a lot of organisations. That's Michael McCauley, Professor of Public Administration at the School of Government at Victoria University in Wellington.